So you'll notice here on, on our slides that I'm calling our story this morning Peter and Cornelius. I could have said the story of Peter and Cornelius. Usually when we think about Peter and Cornelius, we would say, oh, this is an Acts chapter 10 study. Because the bulk of that story we're going to find in Acts chapter 10. However, we're, we're going to go outside chapter 10 just a little bit on the front, which maybe I'll call the prologue, and a little bit on the back in chapter 11, maybe the epilogue. This is a, one of the, I won't say the worst chapter divisions that we might find, but it doesn't help us just to have the chapter just so starkly start at 10 and end at 11. So we're going to, we'll start a little bit before what we usually think of as the story of Cornelius and I think we'll be able to explain why. So we're starting in Acts chapter 9, verse 32 this morning. We have just in previous class introduced and talked about Saul or Paul and his incredible conversion, his encounter with Christ and some of the things he did early on following that encounter. And now we're coming back to a familiar face. We're back to Peter for a little bit. We, we've been with Peter in the book of Acts for several things. Left him for a minute because we needed to introduce Paul. But now we're going to come back to Peter and see what, what has Peter been up to lately. And so, starting in Acts 32, um, let's see if I got a perfect, our prologue here. Peter is in Lydda and Joppa. And what things take place? Anyone, what things take place in either one? Lydda or Joppa, we are introduced to a couple people. What happens here? Miracles, absolutely. We have, um, well, these are out of order. There you go. We have Aeneas healed, verse 34. Uh, That's in Lydda, right? And then a little bit later, he goes to Joppa, I believe, and meets Tabitha or Dorcas. And we have miracles. What are are the two miracles? They're different uh, with these two individuals. Great. Paralytic is healed. Aeneas, paralyzed for eight years, I think the scripture tells us. And Tabitha, or Dorcas, has died. And she's raised from the dead. So these are, not that I would ever count any miracle that God is performing through his servants as minor, but these are definitely very big. These are definitely miracles performed on hopeless individuals. Aeneas is not getting better. He's paralyzed. He's not simply ill, and it could go either way when a miracle comes in and just, you know, helps him out. He's paralyzed for eight years, and Dorcas is not getting, she's died. There's no coming back from that without God. So here we have two completely hopeless individuals healed. And what's the result of both of these? In both places, what occurs because of these, of these things? Many believe. Word spreads from this. Many believe. Absolutely. Uh, It's very consistent with a common theme in Scripture that miracles lead to something greater or point to something greater. The miracle is incredible, and and it actually happens, and it does an amazing thing, but the miracle bears witness maybe to the speaker. Or the miracle teaches a fundamental truth about the kingdom. It confirms a message that's being spoken, uh, points toward an even greater gift than the miracle. And here we see the same thing. Many see this, many believe in Lydda and in Joppa because of these miracles. And then um, Peter goes, uh, many believe in the Lord, and Peter comes to say with Simon a tanner in verse 40, 
3. Interesting, I think, in this passage that we have um, some details about. There's many times where someone comes to be healed, maybe by Jesus or with the apostles, and they stay a someone. You know, we're not told who they are, maybe. It's maybe a man or a woman. We're told what's going on with them. We're told what happens to them or for them, but we don't, re- we don't know who they are sometimes. But here, we're told specifically who these individuals are. And even in Simon's case, there's no miracle here, but we're told what he does. And that is why I want to group this into the story of Cornelius. We are, and by we, the scripture here is laying a foundation for us. We are talking about Aeneas, not a Jewish name. Aeneas, that's, that's Latin spelling, but from the Greek. So I'm not saying this is a Gentilic person, but probably a Jew, but he has this Greek or Roman name. We go to Tabitha, who we know, Tabitha, and we're told that she's a believer. She, she is a Jew, I believe, we're told. But she also is called Dorcas, wants to point out she also has this Greek side, this cultural side of her life as well. Peter comes to say with Simon, a tanner. What is tanning? It's not like a tanning bed we would have today. It's different back then. What was tanning? Animal skins, so like make leather, right? Leather work probably, making things out of animal skins. In the old law, just what, what you would imagine, getting, obtaining animal skins requires you to be touching a lot of what? Dead animals. So Simon spends a lot of his time ritualistically unclean, probably, just by nature of his trade. That's not problematic. It's not sinful in the old law, but it just came with a lot of requirements. He had, would have to do a lot as part of his actions. Now, the Pharisees and the Jews of the day, we can even read in some of their texts, these extra-biblical texts like the Mishnah, they would put tanners kind of on the lowest of lows as well. They would, you had to be outside the city. They would, they would lump them in, pardon me, with groups like tax collectors even, just because they spent so much time being unclean. The Pharisees thought, surely there is something wrong with these people. They're always unclean. They're undesirables. They are other. And yet, you know, Peter's able to come and stay with him. So we are already seeing Peter encountering people that are not quite your pure Jews. They have Greek names or they spend a lot of time being unclean. Peter, through these encounters, is being introduced to concepts of outsiders, what is clean and unclean. Peter is encountering these individuals. He's being prepared, I think. The scriptures are preparing us for where we are going. And we've already started this journey a little bit. Uh, Obviously, in Acts chapter 2, we see uh, the beginning of the church. But not long, in Acts chapter 6, the Spirit, through the apostles, were pointed out in the Scripture that, well, the Hellenistic Jews are also part of this. They're being neglected. Okay, we hadn't thought of them, maybe, as really being part of us. And then in Acts chapter 8, we find that, well, the Samaritans, they're also part of this. And the Jews, okay, well, we, we hadn't really thought about that. And, and so they, they bring them in. And so now we are getting ready for the full culmination of where this has been heading in Acts chapter 10. And 
Peter, the other apostles, they're being prepared for this with those they encounter, with things that they have seen previously. So this will not be an incredible shock. This has been somewhat, they are being eased into it a little bit. So chapter 10, now we're ready to, um, to, to meet our other uh, character in the narrative. Cornelius. Who is Cornelius? Give me just demographically who he is. Don't tell me about him, but just who is he? Nationality, occupation, those type of things. Who is Cornelius? Italian or, or Roman, we, we might say. He's in the Italian cohort. The scripture clearly tells us that. Anything else? Centurion, absolutely. And, and you guys probably don't want to say this one because it's so obviously understood, right? He's a Gentile, right? Because he's Italian and Roman. A Gentile, a Roman, a soldier, centurion, meaning he was a soldier and had some authority, some people under him. These are important for our discussion this morning, and I don't want to talk about it yet, but we'll come back to this at the end. And I want to circle back to that. We're introduced to all those facts in chapter 10 right away. Now tell me some other things we know about him from the beginning of chapter 10 as well. Describe him in the way the scripture tells us. What are some things you know about him? He's devout, absolutely. He gives alms to the, to the poor, to the Jewish people. God-fearing, absolutely. Anything else? I had another one. He's a very prayerful person. Absolutely. So we're given all these really admirable traits. I went to anyone today and said, hey, I know this person. You may not know him, but let me tell you a little bit about them. They are devout and sincere. They fear God. They are generous. They are prayerful. Just from that point, you're thinking, this seems like a pretty good person. It sounds like someone I want to be around. I like this person. He has a lot of very good traits, and yet from what we are going to continue to read... Um, Cornelius is still in need of something. It's interesting that being devout and sincere and God-fearing, which we th- is being used in a, in a very broad sense here, um, being generous, being prayerful, it doesn't just end where we say, there was a guy here who was really wonderful. Let me tell you about him. Okay, moving on. Now Peter went to do something else. He's the focal point of this. Something ne- he needs something, and God is going to act on his behalf here. And that is worth taking note of. His spirituality, his version of his faith with what he understood alone, are insufficient for him at this point. He needs something else, and we will talk about what those things are. Though quickly, I think it is interesting um, God notices him for these things. Obviously, God notices everything. It's not that God is, is ignorant of some people and they do something, and like, oh, I, I didn't notice what you're doing. But we're pointed out when he is spoken to in just a minute, the angel says, God has seen your, your alms. He's heard your prayers. God takes note of those kind of things and those actions. Possibly a good reminder for us. Yes, Absolutely. So I'm probably not the only one in the boat when I say that I've had a lot of conversations with people in the past 
that when they come up with a situation where they say, I had a dream, or I felt God talking to me, or an angel or something like that, most of the people that I talk to, at that point, that's where they feel like they're saved and they're good. But there's a big difference between that and what we see here that we can point out to people. And I'll, I'll stop there because I don't want to get in any further. But sure. that, to me, this is a real good place to go and say, are you sure? Because it wasn't good enough for this guy. And this is in the Bible record. Oh, great point. That when, as we see, well, we'll go ahead and move forward to that. Um, God is going to arrange a meeting now. He's going to provide some help to Cornelius. He does not send the angel and say, God has seen what you've been doing. It's, it's pleased him. Here is a reward. See you later. You know, it says, God has seen what you're doing, and you need to do, you need to do something. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And, and indicates um, what that is to Cornelius. Absolutely. This would be the moment if what Cornelius was doing was completely pleasing to God, if he had obtained righteousness with his life, would that not be the message of the angel that you are doing great? I would love for more to be like you. Thank you. I'll see you later. No, there's something that needs to happen. And so, as as Sam leads us in, Cornelius has this vision uh, of an angel, and it says he is terrified, common uh, response that we see a lot of people coming into uh, uh, encountering an angel. Um, he's terrified, and the angel tells him, what does he tell him to do? So said he, he said, God has seen what you've been doing, so now do this. Sin, yeah, sin for Peter. Send me in the Joppa. Bring one Simon, also called Peter. He's staying with another Simon, the tanner, whose house is by the sea. And he tells him that, and, and he leaves. So, what does Cornelius choose to do there? Absolutely. He decides to send to Joppa. He, he is not overwhelmed. The angel does not say, you better do this. I'll be back in an hour and you'll be punished if you haven't done it. The angel doesn't come and say, I'm sending someone to you already. Just be ready when he gets here. He says, go send and get this guy. So Cornelius is already having a foundation laid of, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You get to decide if you want to do it or not. So Cornelius is also being prepared for some things he might be hearing in a little bit. So meanwhile, in Joppa, there's Peter. And Peter now, he gets his side of this arranged meeting and he receives a vision um, why is this vision hard for Peter? You can explain it to me. What is so difficult for Peter concerning this vision that he receives? It's going against everything he's ever known. Okay, yeah, it's going against what he's known, who he is, maybe, if we could even say that. Um, I think we're familiar with the vision. I'll sum it up quickly, where he sees this big, what is described as a sheet full of all of these animals and clearly from his, there are unclean animals in there. And there's all type of unclean animals. You can look in the law. It's pretty replete with all the different examples of things that were unclean which you were not allowed to eat according to the old law. And the voice says get up, kill these animals and eat them. And then Peter says, no. 
like, I've never done that. I, and I won't do that, the implication, because it's, it's not right. It's not who I am. It's not, it's not what we do. Three times, and then the sheet's taken up, and that's the end. Does Peter understand when he, when he comes out of this vision what is going on? Does he understand? Yeah. No. He, I think we could say he's far from understanding. The, the scripture tells us he's perplexed, right? Or he's pondering. But he's really racking his brain with what was that? Interesting, I think, that we see the Spirit does not come here and say, I'm going to tell you everything that's about to happen and why I'm doing it. You know, sometimes we might look at the apostles and we say, well, they had the Spirit. Of course they were able to go to these places and preach. And of course they had this faith to kick in the doors of a synagogue and say, I'm preaching Jesus and I'm not leaving and I don't care what you do to me. But they weren't told everything specifically in the way that we're speaking now, right? There are times that they are asked to wrestle with things. And here we see Peter is perplexed and ponderous about this vision. Though the Holy Spirit does speak directly to him after the vision and tell him what? Some guys are coming. Go with them. And I think we know at least that one of them is, is a soldier, because I think we're told that Cornelius sends one of those, also a devout person, which is interesting. Cornelius either surrounds himself with other devout people, or he is influential in, in causing others to be devout as well. So could be concerning. You see these Roman guys show up and say, hey, we heard Peter was here. We need you to come with us. So the Holy Spirit says, they're coming, go with them. Again, I'm not telling you why. But just do it. And so, of course, um, Peter is summoned. They arrive. Yeah, John, go ahead. I will say the timing was important here. Go ahead. Just, just at the finish of the vision, these men showed up. So God's got it timed right up perfectly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there is no doubt that God is arranging this down to the moments that, hey, you had this vision. Hey, three men are here to take you. Go with them. And Hey, Simon, you know, it, it is perfectly orchestrated as God does all things. Absolutely. So he is summoned by them, and I'm trying, and he decides to go with them, right? Um, I'm the one you're looking for. For what reason? Uh, what is the reason for your coming? It's not, he doesn't seem to be indicating here that, like, tell me why. I'm not, I think Peter's saying, hey, it's me. Can you tell me why you are here? He's, he's going to obey the spirit here. And they tell him, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man, who is well-spoken by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Does Peter understand everything yet? No, not yet. I don't, I don't believe so. And yet... He knows, well, now I know they've, they've been sent to come get me, and they, they're supposed to hear what I have to say. And so we come to Peter and Cornelius meeting, down in verse 24. So what happens? Like, they finally meet. Like, oh, Peter's here. Cornelius, oh, he's here? What, what occurs uh, right off the bat? 
Good, yeah, so it's not just Cornelius here, right? He's invited his friends, his neighbors. He has assembled those that are dear to him to come um, here, Peter. And then Peter comes, and someone else had a, had a comment. What, is, what happens? Absolutely, Cornelius tries, begins to worship Peter um, right off the bat. Understandable. I'm not excusing this or saying this is good. We, we should have all worshipped apostles. But can you, can you blame Cornelius for that he has been told this man is coming and he has something to say that it will change everything for you, that will change your life. And now he's here. You understand why he would think this is someone incredible. This is someone worthy of some praise. Cornelius doesn't have all, all understanding yet. Um, not many do in the book of Acts about the church. And what is Peter's response, though? Stand up for... I, too, am a man. So, once again, I think Peter now is saying something that should be laying a foundation for his understanding coming up. Stand up. I, too, am just a man. We're the same. Don't worship me. We're the same. We're just people. He is being introduced to this concept over and over and over, kind of in this encounter. We are the same. So Peter meets the group Cornelius has assembled and then reveals that he has learned something. Let's find that verse. And, uh, as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered, as Bruce told us. And he said to them, you, you know that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's verse 28. So Peter explains that he has realized something. What has Peter, what's he realized in this moment? Putting the pieces together. Starting to put the pieces together. And he says, you know, there's, there's something that we never would have done before, but, I, but now I've been told I can do this. He seems to be indicating that before a Jew never would have come to the, this Gentile home all these Gentiles and then be with you and have camaraderie with you, fellowship with you. But he says, now I know not, not to consider things unclean um, or common. I'll ask, does Peter understand everything yet? And we might disagree on this and it's totally fine. I've been wrong once or twice before. Maybe this could be the third time. Um, I don't think he understands everything yet. I think he seems to be saying, oh, it's, that vision was telling me it's fine for me to be here and to talk with you guys right now. Before I could never do that, I would have said, I can't go in there. The house is unclean. The crowd is unclean. This, you know, Gentiles, sorry. But he said, now I understand that I shouldn't consider those here unclean, and it's okay for me to be here. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Verse 29. And then he asks again, so, you know, your, your um, summoners, they told me why I was coming. But I want to hear f- from you, Cornelius. Tell me why you sent for me in verse 29, right? So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. 
I might be uh, lagging here, right? He asks why he's been called. What is the response? Cornelius says, okay, I'll tell you. What does he tell him? Tell him about the vision that he had. Okay. He says, I had a vision. I just didn't hear about you from, from some person that said, this is a great preacher. You've got to hear this guy. I had a vision. Okay. And he, he describes and, you know, the details. He said, send for Peter. This is where you'll find him. And then he gives a little bit more about that vision, more than I think we're told originally when we just read about it happening. Cornelius says, well, there's a, there was more in that exchange. What is a key piece, I think, that, that we're not told in the first kind of beginning of chapter 10, but Cornelius kind of gives us as he recounts this vision? I'm sorry, what was that? Your alms have been heard. Okay, he mentions that his alms had been heard. That is true. Let's, I'm, I'm looking, rather than force you to continue to read my mind, around verse 33. There seems to be... Absolutely. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. I don't think that's explicitly stated... You know, when the angel comes, when we read about it in the beginning of 10, it says, go get Simon, who's called Peter. This is where he's staying. And the angel goes. But it's indicated here that he was told, I sit for you because you have something I need to hear. That's why I'm here. That's why I sent for you. That's why I got all my people here with me. We are all here to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. So he understands he needs to hear something from Peter. And he's here to hear it. I've been pushing pretty fast here through this point. Are there any comments or questions or anything people want to add to the discussion? Yeah, right here, up to this point. I think uh, verse 26 is pretty condemning for the Catholic Church because uh, whatever way you look at it, uh, if Peter says he's just a man. So if he's a man, then the, Catholic, uh, the, the Pope, that the Catholics say that Peter was the first Pope, well, then the Pope's just a man too. Uh, and then also uh, Cornelius was worshiping him. And you see that the Pope allows people to worship him. Uh, so I, th- I think it's pretty condemning. It just shows... It just shows uh, how false Catholic Church is. Yeah, I think well said. I mean, this passage definitely argues against kind of that level of veneration, right, of early apostles, members of the early church. If there was ever a great time to worship Peter, here is a great time. Another, I mean, we can even think of others that, you know, if we try to venerate some of the other individuals we find in Scripture beyond Christ, you know, even when... Um, people come to Jesus and say, hey, your mother and your brothers are here. He says, who's my mother? You know, not to be ugly towards his mother, but a point that just having that connection with me is, is, not, is nothing, right? It's the, those that do my will are my, are my family. There's another great example where Peter's saying, we're the same. I too am a man. Let's not go down that road for sure. Right, go ahead, Sam. And I think we had... Comment back there. One, one other thing that sticks out to me in verse 33, at the end he says, we're all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. 
Some people are of the opinion, back in Matthew 16, where Jesus told the apostles, I, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Uh, you have the power of binding and loosing. Some religious folks believe that, well, the apostles basically came up with what they were going to teach, and they did, and that God just allowed them. But here's one, and there are many, one of the passages that tells us, no, you're inspired of God. You've been given by God the things that you are to say. The gospel is not of men. It is from God. So just another one of those key passages that teaches us that not anyone in the world can just say, hey, I had a dream. Write this down. Start my own church or, or whatever. And that has happened a lot. Wow, great point. Yeah, in nowhere does Cornelius indicate, I had this vision and we summoned you here to hear your words of life, Peter. You know, that you have the truth. Your, you know, to hear your explanation, you know, it is to hear what God told you. So we want to hear what God has to say and you are the conduit. And that's what we're listening to. Yeah. I was going to comment that also verse 34 where it says, you know, Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. I think that, you know, obviously that has been true all along. That's not something new that God has changed. Now he's going to accept people from every nation. And um, this just goes to show that the Jews, and we can do similarly, but the Jews, you know, would often misapply the meaning of a law or misunderstand the meaning of a law. And... What was happening here is not just that, you know, the law is going away, and so Peter is realizing, okay, that law of unclean animals is going away. I think it's something much deeper. It's like, you know, God has never intended for the Jews to reject other people in the sense that they were doing here towards the Gentiles. And Peter's just now understanding that all along God has accepted those people. Fantastic point. And it takes us right into kind of where we're, where we're headed yeah, Peter begins to preach, and now Peter says, now I understand. Hearing that why he is here, not just to have a nice meal and to spend some time. we got a comment back here. Um, not just to get to know each other. Like, do you have any alms-giving tips you'd like to share with me? He's here to preach to them. And if that's the case, there is only one conclusion that he comes to is that this is for them. Now I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Yeah, I think to his point, I just wonder if some of those commandments to Peter were, were rise, kill, and eat. And then God has shown me that I should not call any person. Those are, that's a command. So I just wonder if that's part of it. And he, you know, he starts off saying that you know here here we are there's no partiality absolutely he gets the full scope these aren't just people you can be with these are potential kingdom dwellers everyone is anyone who does what verse 35 anyone who fears god and does what is right is acceptable to him and one you know he is starting to he has grasped what um, the Jews would have to struggle with and what a lot of the, the, the New Testament writers would address in different ways. Um, the author of the book of Hebrews, he, he wants to draw attention to this. We think about uh, a list of faithful people. We got Bruce up here with the comment. Um, you, Bruce, for me. Um, 
when he wants to talk about faithful people, he doesn't start with Abraham. The writer of Hebrews says the, the first, I think chronologically, he introduced the first faithful person that you ever hear about is Abel. Abel's way before we have a Jewish nation, before we have Abraham, but he was faithful. And by faith, he did this. By faith, Noah did that. The writer of Hebrews wants to introduce this was happening. Faithful obedience and acceptance was happening long time before Abraham. And that this has always been God's plan. This has always been his desire. Yeah, Bruce. <clears throat> we go back to uh, what Peter said when he came in that you know, it wasn't lawful, he thought, for a, a Jewish person to go into a Gentile's house or to another uh, nation. The Septuagint renders that uh, other nation as uncircumcised Philistine, which is a, is a brutal uh, reminder of the relationship there. But going back to Simon the Tanner, who was perpetually unclean, and now Cornelius, no one, no one is beyond salvation. Absolutely. Well said, Bruce. And so... Keep your hands up still. If you have comments, just keep, I'll see them eventually, I promise. We touched on who does God accept, Peter understands. And Peter provides a brief history, pretty quick summation. It, I think it's clear that Cornelius and those here, they have some understanding already about what's been happening. They probably even know who Jesus was just as an individual in society. They have heard of him before. As Peter's able to just rapid fire kind of give a great summation on Jesus and his ministry. It uh, starts with John the Baptist, which is important introducing. You know, John the Baptist proclaimed what? A baptism of repentance and pointed toward Jesus. Paul will talk about in Acts chapter 19. Uh, and that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. He talks about Jesus' ministry, how he was doing good. He was healing those. He talks about his crucifixion. He mentions his resurrection, that he has been appointed as judge. And finally, that there is forgiveness of sins in his name. That is a pretty incredible sermon in a nutshell. Something we'll give Leland and David to shoot for next time. That Peter could do it in two verses. So I, you know, we, let's go for it. Um, a pretty incredible message. And I think it indicates some familiarity among uh, these men here. And so he preaches this to them, and then uh, we kind of get to the finale of, of our story here. And I'm going to really go quicker here. Um, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word, and they were saved, and Peter went home. Right? Not at all. And yet, this is hard to wrestle with. This is interesting because this is miraculous. This is out of the ordinary, what is going on here. So we've got to wrestle. What is happening here? The Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. So Cornelius, the big crowd he got, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And, and so what do they begin to do? The Spirit has fallen on them. Yeah, they were yeah, the, those that came with Peter. He kind of brought a crew with him. They hear them speaking in tongues extolling God. Does that sound familiar? Have we heard this before? The Holy Spirit falling on people and they start speaking in tongues. At Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. 
And those witnesses are amazed. They're amazed in verse 45. The believers from among the circumcised who'd come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And we could talk a lot about this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what I believe is happening here. For the sake of time, you come educate me where I'm wrong. If you feel I am, it's very possible. Even these that are with Peter, they are drawing a conclusion here, what they're seeing. And I do not believe they are saying these miracles are the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think they are making the same conclusion that we make in Acts chapter 2. That the miracles are signaling to everyone something's happening here. That's exactly the sermon that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 when the great sound occurs. Everyone hears it. And then there's these men and they're speaking in tongues and they're uneducated. There's no way they know these languages. This is miraculous. And Peter says, this is what Joel talked about. And it goes back to Joel. It says, Joel talked about all these miracles happening in Joel 2 and 3. He says, and Joel was telling you, when you see this happen, that's how you know the kingdom is here. This is the signal to you that the kingdom is here and that the gift of the Holy Spirit is ready to be poured out on all flesh, all, everyone, total, all flesh, not just the apostles, all flesh. And here we see another little mini demonstration. And they see it and go, when we, when we saw this miracle at Pentecost, it showed us that the kingdom was beginning. And they draw this conclusion that they have the, these miracles as well. We are being shown that they have access to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness of sins and restoration to God. Rest with him. Relief with him. There is so much about the Holy Spirit that we could talk about. We have entire classes on the Holy Spirit and his promise, his gift at times. And so we are not going to to definitively settle that. But for the purposes of our class this morning, that's what I would suggest. And they still were not saved. And they still had something they had to do. Because salvation comes, as Peter had preached to them, in the name of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, and they needed to be baptized into Christ. Very clear. Had they been saved at this moment, why do this? Why be baptized? They are commanded to be baptized. It is not suggested. It's not told, this will look better if you would just be baptized as well. They are commanded to be baptized, and we indicate that they do that as well. So we've got just a few minutes left, so we've got to get to our epilogue. I told you we had an epilogue as well, a little bit extra outside of this lesson. Others hear what has happened, others through Judea, and specifically uh, Jews, or those of the circumcised party. Bruce kind of introduced that term. Now it's the, the circumcised you know, saints, and they aren't very excited about this. And, and we understand why. Why are they not happy about this? 
Yeah, they're still where Peter was. They're like, you went into this uncircumcised prayer. What are you doing? Like, we, we don't do this, right? We, we don't do this. We don't go in here and eat with them. And yet Peter, he now explains what has happened, right? He explains the vision. He explains they came, they got me. I, sent, I came, I, I preached to them. And then um, he, he says that he saw what had happened. This is verse 17, I think. Um, well, first he says, I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I would, for the purposes of this class, state that he is not talking about the miracles there. He is letting the miracles inform him that they have been allowed access to the gift of the Holy Spirit, restoration to God. If they have the same access to that gift, who was I that could stand in the way? And they hear that and are silent first, they stop complaining, and they glorified God for what? That to the Gentiles, God also has granted repentance that leads to life. Any comments about that before I kind of give us a last word here this morning? You guys have been very helpful. Yes, sir. The apostles didn't make this declaration. Okay. The people saw what happened, heard what happened, and determined that the Gentiles had been granted repentance to life. That's significant. It wasn't just a command from God. It was easy to see that that was what was happening. Wonderful point. Ties perfectly into some of our closing thoughts here. As we said earlier, the apostles, the Peter just come back and say, hey, the Holy Spirit told me they're in now. Or the Holy Spirit didn't come to these people and say, hey, stop complaining. They're in. This is my will. They can have the gift as well. They saw the miracle. And now others are, are expected to listen to eyewitness reports and to believe it in faith. This is an encounter that the Holy Spirit many times could have just Come to the apostles, come to others and say, I'm going to tell you what's happening here. Get on board. And yet the apostles are asked at many times, the same as we are, the same as anyone who's coming to the kingdom to wrestle with scripture, to listen to eyewitnesses and to draw conclusions. We, we read about Paul last week. That again, the Holy Spirit does not come to the apostles in Jerusalem and say, hey, he's with me. In fact, he's one of you guys now. They hear what has happened to Paul. He tells them what has happened about his encounter with Jesus. And they are expected to believe that. They are expected to listen to eyewitnesses and to believe that. The apostles, in many ways, are not expected to do things we are not asked to do when it comes to the truth and the kingdom. Final closing thought here. They glorified God, those that see this, that, that God has granted repentance that leads to life, even to the Gentiles. This is an incredibly familiar story to us, I think. We study this often as we should. And a lot of us know what happens here, the ins and outs of this encounter. How often do we glorify God after you finish reading this encounter? This chapter has incredible significance to, I would assume, most of us 
in the room today, without knowing um, your ancestry, the reason that we are excited about Acts chapter 2 is because we have Acts chapter 10. The reason we feel any connection to Abraham and to the Israelites is because of Acts chapter 10. The reason that we pick up the Old Testament and feel like this is speaking to me and this is revealing God's truth to me is because God showed us his, his always plan, his eternal plan, to grant repentance even to the Gentiles. Cornelius was devout, God-fearing, generous, but still needed to be saved. Cornelius was also a Gentile, a Roman, those who were ruling the Jews at this time. And he was even a Roman soldier. He's from the same fraternity that literally nailed Jesus to the cross. We know that the Jews were those who sent him to the cross, and yet it's the Roman soldiers that carry it out. If there was anyone that shouldn't be allowed into the kingdom, wouldn't it be someone from that group? And yet Cornelius is welcomed in as everyone has the opportunity to be welcomed into the kingdom and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you guys so much for your participation this morning. It's a wonderful study to be with you. We'll stand adjourned until the bottom of the hour here.